Welcome to our next series regarding how businesses are thriving and pivoting during COVID-19. I'm excited about our next guest, Jordan Lamb, the CEO of Moxie. Moxie is in the cannabis industry. It's a brand that you might have heard of before. They work on the cultivation side all the way through distributing the products. And I'm excited to see what's happening in the cannabis industry during this time. Jordan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Awesome. Well, first and foremost, how's the family holding up? I know I think you're actually in California right now during this. So can uh, how's everybody doing? You know, everybody's uh, hanging in there. I think everybody feels super blessed that we get to, you know, come to work every day as an essential business. You know, from illegal to essential in a couple of years is a pretty awesome moment to revel in, that's for sure. But it's tough, I'm not going to lie. Everybody uh, is adapting well, but it is, it is a trying time to be in business, particularly one as, as complex and, and high velocity as ours is. But um, I would say everybody's very grateful and humbled to be able to be doing what we're doing right now. I think a lot of people were surprised that it got not marked as an essential business. A lot of people weren't surprised because they said, you know, we might as well make sure everybody is uh, well medicated during uh, the time period of lockdown. And uh, we've seen alcohol sales go up during that time period too. Tell me a little bit about what it's like to be managing this business in particular during the lockdown. It's been a, a forced and also I would say positive realization that in this day and age, with this level of technology that's been accessible to us, it really is, it's, it's very possible to run these businesses virtually. Obviously, you know, the cultivation and manufacturing components, notwithstanding, you have to have people physically there and certainly more trying and arduous than, than the normal day-to-day -day office dynamic, but you can do it. I mean, we have everything available in this day and age to be able to run businesses from anywhere in the world. And so the way we're looking at it is that, you know, the world is not going to be the same after this, and we have to move to where it's going and not only adapt, but thrive in the new environment. Talk me through a little bit of that. You know, t tell me a little bit about how you changed operations during here. And obviously, in the cultivation side, people have to be there. I'm sure the distribution has changed a bit where, you know, you've had to really make sure the technology regarding the apps, the deliveries, that might have adapted a little bit. But maybe you can kind of talk us through the whole vertical of how operations you've had to think about from a, a grower to a distributor, and even on the brand side, that um, if this industry is not changing just towards, you know, people just trying to get the flower, but actually starting to get the brand. So why don't we start out with a little bit of just how the operations has changed for you during this time period? So on the, the cultivation and the manufacturing side, you know, we've obviously had to institute more rigorous sanitation policies. In fact, in our facilities, we, we utilize the same protocols that are used in hospitals. We've, you know, mandated that masks are not only around inventory, obviously, but, uh, you know, throughout the entirety of the facility. The typical social distancing, you know, uh, requirements or, or recommendations based on the WHO and all of that. But aside of that, it's actually kind of almost business as usual within the manufacturing side of things. Maybe people are a little bit more spread out in their, their workstations, but it's still the same process of making the product and, and packaging it and getting it ready for, for testing and sale. On the management side of things, it's been a complete shift. You know, all of our communications are, are digital and virtual, and there's very little inner office action, only what is, you know, essential to essential functions of the business gets done in person. Now, mind you, because this is cannabis and this is a cash business, a big component of the financial side of the business still does have to be done physically. But what one of the big takeaways that, you know, I've had from all of this is like, even things like email are actually now becoming too cumbersome. The time it takes to draft and to circulate versus using tools like, you know, a FaceTime or 
instant messaging. So we've, we've really moved towards a lot of like quicker communications and more frequent communications. And what it's helped us to do, you know, really inadvertently is identify a lot of the inefficiencies and in what we have in some of our process and the way that we communicate internally, because we've had this kind of like hyper-focused lens on the way that that entire chain of communication goes, we're, we're now able to realize like, oh my gosh, we can make drastic improvements that, you know, make everybody's jobs easier and, and ultimately impact the bottom line. And, and in fact, one of those things that kind of turned into a drastic move for us, we're implementing this week and we're really excited about because it's like, we kind of had an aha moment, like, oh my gosh, we've been doing this this way. And what if we just did it like this? And it just, it has like a ripple effect throughout the whole organization. And we just needed this kind of inflection point of, you know, necessity to figure it out. And so it's been trying to be certain because it's it's a whole new dynamic of doing things, but there's, I think, really, really positive parts of it because it's really just forcing everyone to to get better. Talk a little bit about that. So in the last, you know, in, in California, I went down to the stay-at-home orders a lot earlier than some of the rest of the country. What have been some of the challenges you saw right away? Was it that just you talked briefly about the email spike going through? Was there any other challenges that you saw that kind of came up that you had to work through early on? Our clients has been challenging because they, just like all of us, are not really sure what's going to happen. So we've had to ramp up the volume of communication pretty tremendously just to make sure that we can distill down into actionable items because it changes so quickly. You know, there, there are geographies within our, our business that are thriving right now. And then there are others that are under really rigorous stay-at-home orders that have really detrimentally impacted the business. And so just to give some color, like, you know, California brick and mortar is still allowed to operate, but in Nevada, it moved entirely to delivery only. So, and Nevada was not a market that historically had a big business around delivery. So the, it was essentially like a cliff of the entire market fell off of, and it took a few weeks for the operators to ramp up that infrastructure to, to support within the, the regulations that the governor put forth. Whereas in California, you've got geographies that are, you know, seeing people stock up and spend more because they are at home spending more time consuming. And that's, you know, also not exclusive to the region, you know, sometimes just by one town to the next, there's a pretty drastic difference. So, you know, being uh, really, really uh, uh, proactive and trying to understand what's going on out there has been, been critical. And it's been challenging because uh, you're trying to get hold, a hold of people when everybody's sitting on Zoom calls or, or group chats all day long. And so you're, you're kind of trying to edge in for the opportunity to really understand what's happening. And it is changing so fast. You have to do it kind of like every single day. Yeah, it's interesting to say that. You know, the first couple of weeks, I think every firm wanted to figure out how to get communication out. They thought they should over-communicate. And then about two or three weeks in, all of a sudden, there was way too much communication. I mean, for people just reposting what the who said over and over again from multiple different companies. Can you talk a little bit of how you were able to differentiate yourself, if possible, even during this time period? And maybe as as you're doing that, can you just share a little bit about Moxie and, and you seem to be involved in many spaces in the cannabis side. So maybe helping give a little perspective of kind of where Moxie plays in the cannabis space and then how you've been able to differentiate yourself during this time. Yeah, so we're differentiated from our core at, at, that we are actually manufacturers, but to service the building of a brand that connects emotionally with the customers. We make products that you know are, are really high quality and they're not cheap. We're trying to be, you know, differentiated in that we produce something that you can consistently rely on to be amongst the best that's available out there. And, you know, during this time, that's been interesting, too, because people are obviously changing their spending habits and where, you know, quality may have mattered supremely. Now, you know, value matters. 
And so what we're doing is, you know, taking the opportunity now to realign our supply chain, the way that we interact with our vendors and our customers to bring that premium quality into, you know, the new economic world that we're going into. And so that's something we're really excited about because of what this represents as an opportunity to shift the way that people think about things, volume, you know, margin, price point, sell through. Um, we're we're going to be able to bring our really supreme quality products to the marketplace at a significantly reduced price while still maintaining you know, the financial stability and, and uh, sustainability that we need to for, for our business to succeed. Yeah, that, that's been an, an interesting part I've kind of seen in the, the cannabis space uh, in particular. And you would think it would be, you think it would be obvious, but during prohibition, during alcohol, people just got moonshine. They just wanted the alcohol and that's all they were looking for. And prohibition for cannabis was the same way, right? People were just looking to be able to get the flower, get the marijuana, the flower, for those who don't know, is the actual bud that people smoke. So it seems like a trend in the industry now that people are starting to move more towards brands than opposed to just looking to be able to pick up flour. Do you see that trend just starting? Do you see it is actually brands are getting built that people want specific types of flour uh, besides just indigo or sativa? Or is it still kind of a new thing that the industry is trying to build similar how alcohol went from moonshine to all the brands we know that we go by? Well, it's definitely moving towards brands from a, a reliability standpoint. So the customers are in the store and they're, they're really relying on the bud tender for all of their information. And the easiest way for them to recognize something that's going to be consistent for their needs is by that brand name. Now, that being said, there is a huge segment of the market that is chasing the value. So, you know, milligrams per dollar essentially is the way that, that people think about it. But as the markets mature, you see that people start to realize that the numbers don't really actually matter as much to the subjective experience of quality. So they end up looking more towards something that they know what's in the package is going to be what they're, what they're searching for from a, a price to quality ratio. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, now, unlike in the past before, you know, heavy regulation, everything's prepackaged. So there's not like really a good way to see or smell or touch the product before you get it, particularly when it comes to flour. So you have to really rely on the name that goes on that bottle or that jar to know what you're going to get inside because oftentimes you know you can get something home and and open it up and be very disappointed with what you've received so they're really relying upon you know that brand name and then the recommendation of the bud tender got it got it that makes sense to me so as you start to think of we're talking about reopening in many of the states and in particular you know you start thinking about how you've learned a lot during this lockdown what are some of the lessons that you learned going to stay with you as reopening starts to happen. Any takeaways that you have that you think you'll keep with you? You know, I think the there's the balance that has to be struck, right? You know, in, in seeing the positives of that, you know, you don't necessarily need a physical office to, to run an office environment is very encouraging. However, on the flip side, because of the nature of the virtual environment and its accessibility or people's accessibility to you, you very quickly can throw the work-life balance of a team out of whack. And then you add a crisis to that where everybody's really, you know, trying in earnest to do their best and work really hard to ensure that we succeed. And you still have to make sure to maintain, though, that, that division, particularly when you're, you know, not only is the accessibility greater, but then you're, you also don't have the physical divide of home versus the office. You know, there's a mental thing, a psychological thing that plays into that there that can be, you know, very, very negatively impactful on people's uh, actual quality of work output if they're not balanced right. So, you know, making sure that one, we, we continue to move towards more of a virtual environment where applicable, but also ensuring that, you know, simple practices are used to ensure that people aren't, uh, aren't burning out. 
you know, type A's have a, have a high likelihood of burnout in, in time like this, because you can, you know, really bust your ass all day and feel like you're not getting anywhere. Like you're just running on the treadmill. And if you're doing that from your couch or from your bedroom, it really conflates the two parts of your life that you, you need division of to, to maintain, you know, an effective uh, uh, work output, work product. And um, so what we're really encouraging, you know, amongst our own organization is like punctuation of the workday with socialization. You know, every day we have a recurring happy hour and it's not a mandatory thing, but every day at a certain time, you know that you're going to be able to jump on with all of your coworkers within the management team and just have a social hour. And oftentimes that's where the fun kind of more creative things get discussed and run to ground because it's not as structured and formal and, and sterile as, as the virtual environment can feel most of the time. You know, when you're staring at 16 different tiles on. (laughs) If you knock out your commute, and then for myself personally, I knock out some of the social stuff. You know, I have to do, you know, different events that I got to go to, dinners that I have to go to. I, I found myself what I thought was, you know, very busy during the day. And I found during this time, I'm actually more productive with my hours in the sense that there's not the, the BS time. Every 30 minutes is effective 30 minutes and opposed to not. But I think the part to your point, and I think it's been a difficult thing even just work for myself and, and my team is figuring out how to balance that out because you're at home so much and family feels you're at home, you're jumping back on the computer later at night a lot more. And I think that trying to find that division is important. I like your idea of how, you know, you kind of give them an end of a day with a happy hour without telling them it's the end of the day, but you're helping them make that transition for themselves as the employer, which is a, which is a really cool idea. As the reopening starts, you know, we've obviously, as a country, spent a lot of money, $5 trillion, in trying to be able to help businesses out. They're going to have to make up that money somewhere. Is the, uh, the industry hoping, that considering they were an essential business, that uh, maybe this will become federally legal to be taxed and make up for some of this uh, money we just got sloshing around in the system now? Has there been um, any conversations in the industry around that? There's been a ton. I mean, I think everybody thinks that this is a tremendous opportunity for us to accelerate the federal timetable, really, you know, move up more quickly to, to bringing the walls down or at least allowing uh, on the financial side access to bank invigoration that our entire economy needs. Cannabis probably represents the single biggest opportunity. It is the second fastest growing industry in the last 50 years, second only to the internet. And we're not even close to utilizing that from a, you know, United States domestic capital markets standpoint. So if we can really, you know, look at this as, look, we need to create jobs, we need to create tax revenue, and we need to do it in a manner that's also, you know, encouraging and positive to the populace. This is probably one of the few things that we could use to, uh, to really get ourselves uh, in an accelerated path back to where we were. Additionally, you know, from a political standpoint, if I were one of these candidates, this seems like a pretty excellent item. Consumer data around COVID and cannabis and, you know, the way the world was trending before, cannabis is bipartisan at this point. Yeah, you know, it's uh, interesting on how big a shift has happened uh, in our lifetimes around the uh, sentiment around cannabis. I mean, it's, it's people I never even thought that actually do talk about it and uh, do. So it's, uh, it's become much more comfortable for people to, uh, to share that just as they would if they were drinking a glass of tequila. Uh, can you just uh, give any advice that you might have or share any advice you might have for leaders? Because you guys are a little bit farther along and a lot of our listeners are here in Florida. Any advice you would give as you're starting to think of coming out of it or leading during the time of lockdown as a leader running an organization? You know, 
prioritize your time on fixing things that you might not have had time to do. That was my biggest lesson here is I, I got the opportunity, just like you said, you know, normally you've got so much of kind of the in-between that takes up time and it creates for a nice balance, right? You know, you have that drive from one meeting to the next to clear your head or, or catch up on a phone call. But what we've really had time to do and me specifically is because I'm not, you know, on the road as much, not losing time to airplanes, I've got had really the time to, to look inwardly to the business and to the operations. And it's been illuminating to us. I mean, some of the stuff that we, we did a certain way that just, it made sense, you know, all of a sudden was like, whoa, that really doesn't work. Like, why, why would we continue to do that? And we all have had, you know, m myself, especially these kind of aha moments in a number of like key functional areas of the business that you just wouldn't have had time to, or, or really the thought to, to look at introspectively except for in a, a circumstance like this. So, you know, one planning for what the new world is going to look like and yeah, you know, reopening starting, but you know, this is, this is a post COVID world now or actually current COVID world. And we don't know exactly when this is going to be completely gone. If we're going to have another resurgence and have to go back to stay at home orders or, or what, and the broader economic impact of that is really, truly, uh, you know, still, still something only to be speculated on. And so taking the time to really tighten screws and fix the things that maybe, you know, you wouldn't uh, spend the time on. It's really a tremendous opportunity for that. And, and the, you know, improvements that we've been able to make over these last, you know, eight weeks of stay at home, I, I think are going to be massively impactful for us. And I'm not sure that we would have addressed them as expediently as we did had it not been for, you know, everything that's gone on. No, I, I think you're 100% accurate. I think that there's every industry has a certain trend that it was heading towards and tries to absorb that trend to be able to have their teams and their, the consumers to be able to handle a certain amount of change at a time. And I think what this really has is accelerated all the changes that were going to happen in the industry anyway, whether that was the adaption of technology, whether it was that um, the efficiency of how the system is run in that business, whether it was how real estate was used and being able to reduce footprints. I think all that is going to be expedited for almost every different industry for the better over time to have better businesses. But it's going to be a, a lot of change to absorb as leaders uh, and being able to handle. But uh, I think you're right. That acceleration in all industries are happening. Last question for you. Any personal habits that you'll keep that, uh, that you've kind of put in place over this period of time? You know, as I talk to a lot of uh, successful business owners, entrepreneurs, executives, each of them has found, you know, some positives personally that's kind of come out of this that they say, you know, listen, I, I think this is something I, I didn't expect to do, you know, walks with my wife as a, every night that was fun. Or, you know, and I realized, you know, hanging out with the, the guys doing a bike ride on Saturdays is something I just never felt busy enough to be able to do or, you know, working from home one day a week. Uh, anything you could be able to uh, share yourself, a habit that you kind of put in place over the last eight weeks that you'll probably stay with? Yeah, it's so well, two things. One kind of silly, but you know, with being at home and, and luckily being in beautiful Southern California, I've gotten the opportunity to do a lot of work in my backyard and getting outside into the sun, uh, which unfortunately I do very infrequently pre COVID uh, has been incredible. Just, you know, actually being out in nature, feeling the breeze and not being stuck in a stuffy office or or a boardroom really has been a, a very nice thing, you know, cooped up or not, you know, a little bit of cabin fever, sure. But still rather be, you know, underneath a beautiful Southern California sun. But more importantly for myself, one of the things that we did really quickly, because we have these, you know, pretty complex manufacturing facilities, we, we did make hand sanitizer like a number of other businesses and donated it to a, a, a hospital system of seven hospitals here in Southern California. And what that did to invigorate the team and also myself was a really great kind of reset 
of why we even got into this business to begin with, which is to help people. Ultimately with cannabis, like you're, you're not doing any harm to anyone. When you put this product out there, it really truly is one of the like purest forms of providing real value into people's lives. And the fact that we are able to leverage our assets to do something even outside of our normal scope reminded me of that, you know, how important it is speaking back to, to balance that, you know, part of balance is, you know, it's work and it's personal life. And it's also, it's giving back. You know, it's making sure that, that you're not living just for, for number one. And uh, that's a great feeling, especially when, you know, I think a lot of people out there, particularly those that have you know, lost their jobs or, or are, you know, living in a very trepidatious time that, you know, that's, that's really what matters most is taking care of your, your fellow man. And it's very humbling to be able to see your work provide a meaningful impact. That's a great point. And in, in building a culture, I think one of the things that really helps people get connected is actually helping out the community and it's not something we expect and to do it in a time like this, not only is it the right thing, but it's something that the area and the communities need, but it also helps out business too. And when you could do both parts where you can really make a difference in people's lives and be able to change those lives, but also be able to help business is where that win-win comes. Uh, and it just has to start to become part of our DNA as business leaders to be able to do that. And sometimes, and I think you kind of said it early on when you were talking about the personal side, when we're stuck in the boardrooms, when we're looking at financials, when we're looking at org charts, we're looking at, you know, accountability in certain areas, we tend to lose that part. And just being in your backyard, back in nature, whether it be all of a sudden building hand sanitizers and making it and giving it out and feeling that just good feeling to be able to helping out, kind of gets you and reminds you back of, you know, why businesses are set up. They're here to help serve the communities. And that just doesn't mean from a profit perspective. So Great points, Jordan. I really appreciated the conversation. Thanks for taking the time. Where uh, where would people find you? Enjoymoxie.com and the social on Instagram is enjoymoxie. Awesome. Anything else that uh, you'd like to share before we let go? No, thank you for the time. I really appreciate you having me on and uh, I hope you guys are doing well and you know, let's uh let's let's keep our eyes on the horizon here because I think the you know, the biggest thing about why we needed to react uh, so abruptly to this is because it's beatable because it's not something that is insurmountable. And if we follow the steps, we do the right things, we adhere to data and science, we're gonna overcome. And we will become stronger as a people for it. And, and I'm confident in that. And I'm positive that, that we as an organization are gonna be a part of that, that new world. Awesome. Jordan Lamb with Moxie. Thanks, Jordan, appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremy. All right. I appreciate you listening to the Upreneur Podcast. Please make sure to rate, subscribe, and also share the podcast for people you think might find it interesting. Along with that, if you're an entrepreneur or thinking about becoming a business owner, a great resource to take a look at is our partners at SCORE, where you see retired executives being able to help mentor new budding entrepreneurs. You can find them at SCORE.org, or in particular, we're in a partnership with Broward SCORE if you're in South Florida. Along with that, check us out on our Instagram. It's Upreneur. That's Upreneur with a U, not Y-O-U. That U stands for the University of Entrepreneurs, here to be able to give you and learn from the best and the brightest of entrepreneurs here in Florida. I appreciate you listening. Have a great day.